BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Prince Harry spares no details in his new memoir. And he digs even deeper on his TV book tour. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's chief royal correspondent. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, a royal watcher based in the U.S. And this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, Jack. Hello, listeners. And hello to all the weary readers who've stayed up the past few nights reading all 416 pages of Prince Harry's new memoir, Spare. Now, the book was released worldwide on Tuesday, January the 10th, and it is the fastest-selling non-fiction book in history, according to its publisher. Obviously, Kristen and I have been reading it too, and we're going to talk you through all the most shocking revelations in the book. Some of those revelations are already out there, thanks to advanced leaks to the press, a debacle which saw the book come out nearly a week early in Spain, and of course, thanks to Harry himself, But we'll be giving those revelations some context today and talking about loads more surprises. There are so many surprises, Jack. Let's start with you. (laughs) Let's talk about what really jumped out at you. What shocked you? What surprised you? Yeah, so it has been a complete roller coaster of a week since all this stuff started coming out in Spain. Headline after headline after headline. There was too much to even take in, I think, when it first started coming out. But when I got the book on Monday and started reading through it, um, I think one of the big things that stuck with me from the early sections was actually um, Harry and Charles seemed like they had a really beautiful relationship in those early years when Harry was a child. Um, there's one bit where Charles is like stroking his head, he's stroking his face to get him to fall asleep at night. There are some really lovely moments between the two of them. Um, and then obviously the uh, big revelation that Harry and William just really weren't that close even during childhood. Um, so, oh. you know, one of the one of the big lines being Harry, uh, you know, when he started at school, was expecting it to be a big kind of reprisal of, or a big, you know, uh, reinvention of his relationship with William. But William kind of told him, I don't want to know you, just pretend we don't know each other. Um, and then it, so that was, you know, that was really kind of almost quite sad, actually, because it's, I think a lot of people have said that that kind of stuff does happen between brothers. But like, we didn't think that that was Harry and William's relationship. So that was kind of a re- calibration for me. Yeah. I have to agree with you. I was I was really touched by the tenderness with which Harry spoke of his father and almost pity at times talking about, you know, his his father and, you know, as for Will though, I have to say I, I was kind of taken aback not just by how long things have been not, you know, as they seem on the surface as they seem at all the press events and so on, you know, the the two inseparable brothers. That that's not the only thing that stood out to me about those two, it's the extent to which things are, you know, tough between them and tough between Kate and Megan. And mm. um, the stuff that stood out to me, I'm just going to go through a few details when I say tough with Kate. So Harry does make clear he loved Kate from the get-go. She was the sister he always wanted the sister he never had. They laughed and laughed. He dreamed of a day where he would have a partner and all four of them would be out in the world together and having fun behind the scenes together. He just thought Kate was the best. But from the get-go, Kate 
did not like Megan. That was very, very clear. They did not get on. And um, some of the stuff sounds a little bit um, judgy and mean coming from Kate based on Harry's recollections in the book. Uh, For example, you know, and, and again, this might be a culture issue. Kate at one point airs grievances and says, you know, you've done things to really hurt me, Megan. And Megan's like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And Kate's like, that one time you said that thing about my forgetfulness. And Megan's like, oh yeah, yeah, you you forgot something. And I was just trying to say, it's okay. It's all good. Whatever. We all, you know, we all understand mommy brain. And William stepped in and said, it is not appropriate to talk that way around my wife. And Megan's like, I'm so sorry. That's how I talk with my girlfriends. With the implication being that Megan thought they were girlfriends. And Kate and Will saying, no, you're not friends with my wife, essentially. That's one example. I have to jump in as a sidebar, and we should talk about that properly, but I have to jump in as a sidebar. Did you see Tom Bauer, the author of Revenge, uh, gave an <laughs> interview where he clearly didn't, not accustomed to the phrase, uh, being an older gentleman, and said, you know, he was kind of recounting some of the sort of bombshells about Kate, and he said, you know, Megan said, uh, sorry, Kate, Megan said that Kate had the brain of a baby. She said baby brain, (laughs) and he thought it meant the brain of a baby. (laughs) Oh, Tom, it means that you're foggy, you're sleep deprived. Yeah, you're foggy, you're foggy, which is a real thing, like it's a real thing. You mentioned the cultural aspect of it. I do think that you would have to be quite on a level with somebody to say that, Um, particularly, I guess, because Began didn't, this was before Archie. So it was obviously just before the wedding. So Megan wasn't like a mum talking to a mum. She was somebody who didn't have kids at the time. But there is kind of like a an overwhelming sort of pettiness that I think comes out of a lot of the sort of like discord between the couples. And like, they, you know, to some extent on both sides as well, like there's a bit where um, Harry and Meghan are also air some grievances and say that they were upset that William and Kate rearranged the place names on the table they were sat at during the wedding. Um and then also like William and the beard stuff. William got really angry that Harry was allowed to wear his beard still at the wedding. William had apparently mm-hmm. been told he wasn't allowed to wear his. It's like a lot of this stuff you're thinking like, you know, this, like the disintegration of this relationship between these two couples has been like the biggest scandal in the monarchy since the days of Princess Diana. And you lift the lid on it and it's like, you know, a comment about baby brain, some stuff about a beard and a few place names being rearranged at a wedding table. <laughs> like it is a lot of pettiness that wafts off the page. I just find it extraordinary that they didn't manage to put some of that stuff just to one side and forget about it. Well, some of it wasn't petty, though. Come on. I mean, we get the inside scoop on what really happened when, you know, the headline said Megan made Kate cry and it was the other way around, as we learned in the Oprah interview. But we get more details here. So it is four days before Harry and Megan are about to get married. Kate texts Megan and says, Charlotte is crying. Her bridesmaid dress is too big. She hates it. This is unacceptable. It needs to be completely remade from scratch. Even my own bridal designer thinks there's no redeeming this dress. And Megan says, you know what? AJ the tailor is standing by at Kensington Palace. He has been there all day. Can you just bring Charlotte there to have her dress tailored? That's what all the other moms are doing with their daughters. Um, I understand dresses need to be refitted a few times. And Kate says, absolutely not. This is not a redeemable dress. And Harry comes home and finds Megan on the floor crying because it is four days before the wedding. And Kate has essentially said, I'm I'm putting this dress in the trash. There is nothing to be done with this dress. And um, 
And oh. Harry's like, oh, just let it go. Kate didn't mean any harm. So Harry at this point is still trying to be dismissive anytime things are happening between Megan and Kate. But I have to say myself, I'm like, that's really bad. Kate, come on, settle down. It's four days before the wedding. Who cares? And and if Charlotte doesn't like the dress, too bad. Little kids sometimes have to wear clothes they don't like, you know? It's only for a few hours. It's fine. Yeah, Kate was definitely being a bit of a nightmare there. I do, yeah, I I would definitely 100% say that that instant was still one that the relationship should have been able to recover from if it was a positive relationship. But I guess this is what it comes down to is that Harry's kind of saying that he just never had a relationship with his brother. And maybe that is the underlying reason why they weren't able to recover from some of these instances that like that actually just ne- was not necessarily a desire to get back to a kind of halcyon golden era that didn't exist. But Harry kind of makes it sound like it did exist between him and Kate, and that makes me sad. He really speaks so highly of the early days with Kate and laughing with her and goofing around with her. And for Kate and Megan not to get along, it, it's quite sad. And ugh, some some of these petty grievances, um, I already said it before, I'll say it again. I'm like, uh, some of these seem like cultural difference and I'm, uh, differences. And I'm not just talking about America versus Britain. I'm talking about maybe very snooty upper crust Britain <laughs> in America. Like, you know, when um Megan at one point, Harry and Megan had William and Kate over for dinner one night. William was coughing up a storm. He was not feeling good. And Megan said, Oh, I have some homeopathic remedies. Let me just grab some oregano, I guess you call it <laughs> in the, in the UK. We call it oreg- oregano oil in the States. Um <laughs> And and says, let, let me grab that and a couple of other things and see if maybe that will help William feel a little bit better. And Kate's response is, William would never take those. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I don't know what the tone is about that, but to me it's That comes down to tone, doesn't it? That really comes down to it tone. Does. It's kind of like, the same as the baby brain comment. It could, like, but in both of them, like, if it's delivered with a knife edge then it could be very rude. But if it's like, it comes down partly, I think, to the chemistry between the couples. And it's back to that point that like, I have heard like mums saying to mums about baby brain. And I could totally see like people getting on being like, oh, William does not like that stuff. But also like, especially if Kate did like that stuff, she might be like, you know, there could be an I'm on your side dynamic. But then on the other hand, if Kate is like, why are you offering that your quack? You know, why are you offering your quack medicines to my <laughs> husband who doesn't like it? Like it, it's hard to know if you weren't in the room which cat, which side of the fence it falls on. Yeah, yeah, it it is tough to know. But like I said, some some of it did sound a little bit like I am stiff and upper crust. I dress to the nines. Megan is wearing jeans and bare feet. Kate is proper even behind the scenes. William is cringing because Megan tries to hug him. Things like this, where I'm like, yeah, some of these you know, seem like slightly cultural differences. Some of them seem like, oh, this is really bad. I'm not sure. We should really talk, I guess, about the biggest, biggest revelation. And one of the first ones to come out was obviously the fights between Harry and William. Yes. Where So this is a, just an argument about uh, Meghan. William goes round to uh, Harry's house, which at the time was Nottingham Cottage, which is not really a cottage. It's like a house in Kensington Palace. Um, and he uh, he goes and basically like wants to talk about Meghan. And uh, he says that she's rude. She's abrasive. She's difficult. 
this is uh, so on the timeline. This is 2019. So this is after the uh, infamous Megan May Kate cry story. This is after Jason Knuff's bullying allegations email. So like this is the the kind of conflict over the staff has already started, and this is William wanting to try and take it up with Harry and go through it all. So Harry set, accuses William of parroting the media narrative. It all gets very heated, and then William kind of bundles Harry to the floor, who falls on a, a dog bowl and gets bits of shattered dog bowl, uh, scratching his back, basically. Yeah. William says, hit me back, hit me back. And Harry says, no, I, I don't want to hit you back. I know that would make you feel better, but you should just leave right now. And William, you know, kind of apologizes and says, you know what, I'll leave, but just don't tell Megan about this. And Which that that really, like got me that bit don't tell megan maybe yes yeah that really got me (laughs) yeah um it seems like a weird thing to say to your brother don't let your spouse to be know about the fact that i just assaulted you but harry's like okay i won't tell her but harry is wound up about this and kind of you know they're men in their 30s and he just got assaulted by his brother this isn't just tussling that little six-year-olds do and so he calls his therapist to talk about it um and then Megan, though, does see him at some point very soon after getting out of the shower and sees all of these injuries and scratches on Harry's back. And so Harry confesses what happened. But Harry did try to keep his word to his brother and not say anything to Megan, which the whole thing to me is confounded. Don't tell your spouse to be about this. And then he keeps his word. And it's only because she sees the injuries. And then Megan is not angry about it. She's just really sad. It really saddens her. Yeah, I think this is probably the strongest of all the criticisms in there of William. This, for me, is actually probably the strongest. And I get completely, which is a point that's been made, that like brothers often don't get on, and this is the kind of stuff that happens to brothers. But like it's still sad, and I can still definitely try to put myself in Harry's shoes and think that like he must have come out of that feeling really upset especially like where you know there's often power dynamics I think between siblings and he you know any younger sibling might well have like a feeling that their older brother is has had like been stronger than them during childhood and therefore has always been the kind of top dog in that kind of like slightly violent dynamic that brothers no doubt have but obviously with the added factor here that William is kind of like formally superior within the line of succession. So it just has that extra angle to it that will make all of the emotions that would always have been there even more heightened. Can we talk about something else with William that just broke my heart? It is when William calls up Harry to let him know about the Queen being on her deathbed at Balmoral. And uh, here's a quote from the book. I asked my brother, I said, What are your plans? How are you and Kate getting there? And then a couple hours later, all the family members that live within the Windsor and Ascot area were jumping on a plane together, a plane with 12, 14, maybe 16 seats. I was not invited. Yeah. So we kind of knew this at the time, um, but it's very interesting to have Harry say it. Um, It's one of the kind of really uh, big sticking points that took place during what was obviously a very uh, traumatic period for all uh, all involved. But um, they also obviously announced the death while Harry was still in the air on the flight that he did take um and obviously william andrew edward and sophie who were all on that plane together did not actually manage to get to balmoral um before the queen died she had already passed away by the time they got there um but what's interesting is that actually she had already passed away before harry's plane had taken off 
Um, it took them about three hours to tell Harry that it had happened. And I mean, like, you know, I and probably you as well, Kristen, found out that the Queen had died before Harry did. And that is, I think, quite a shocking uh, detail. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Um, I love my job. I know you love your job, but we should not be finding out this information before Harry does. It, it's just really sad. The thing that really hit me there was the silent treatment when Harry texts back and says, what are the plans? How are we all getting there? And then he just gets silence for hours. I just, and, and again, we did report on this at the time, but we didn't have all the details that Harry's giving us now. And it just broke my heart on his behalf because I have been in that situation before where I am trying to get to somebody before they die. And, and it's so painful. It's so stressful. And then to just be completely blocked out of all the information, I can't imagine. It's, it's mm. terrible. And we, of course, don't know how much of that was coming from William, how much of it may have been coming from Camilla and Charles, all of these orders. Speaking of whom, we need to talk about Camilla and Charles some more, specifically Camilla. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I actually think Charles doesn't come across as bad as I expected. There are some points when he actually comes across kind of well, but Camilla comes across terribly. (laughs) And he's actually also in Harry's interviews, which we'll talk about some more later. But yeah, he really puts the boot into Camilla and he kind of doubles down on the existing societal perception, I think, that Camilla was a schemer and a manipulator. So obviously, like, that was always the thing that, you know, the the people in the public felt that Camilla had manipulated her way into Charles's affections when he should have just been focusing on Diana. Uh, this was always like supposedly what has been painted in re- recent years by Camilla's supporters as a sort of like sexist, outdated narrative. But Harry, it doesn't really deal with that. But he he takes that like kind of framing of Camilla as being somebody who was scheming and fast forwards it to his own life and kind of says that uh, she threw him under the bus uh, for her own PR purposes because she needed to become queen and she needed to rehabilitate her image as the villain so she was leaking stories about him. Yes and Harry gets very specific about stories that she leaked and that Charles leaked and um, makes clear you know Camilla kept close company with certain people, which we know now, um, as we've said on the show before, the head of her PR team now is a former executive from the Daily Mail slash Mail on Sunday. And so Camilla's not afraid to get in bed with certain parties who have done very, very damaging things, said very damaging things about her stepsons and about her stepdaughters-in-law and so on. So uh, here's one example. When the story about Megan making Kate cry was published, everybody was wondering. Harry was wondering, Megan, Kate, William, all of them. They were all wondering, how did this story get out there? And Because uh, there was a little summit between the two couples, the two younger couples. And then Will confessed to Harry that when Harry and Megan were in Australia on their tour, that he and Kate were over for dinner with Charles and Camilla and William was talking about how Kate and Meg don't get along and kind of recapping some recent things that have happened. And then the twisted version of the bridesmaid dress story was then leaked to the tabloids by Camilla and Charles's office. Although to the Daily Telegraph, which is a broadsheet. Um, oh, the- yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's an extraordinary account because also I I think a lot of people probably thought that it was going to wind up being pinned on William. As in, like obviously, I guess to an extent, it's pinned on William because he blabbed to Charles and Camilla. But I think a lot of people probably tied it up with that whole 
you know, dispute with Jason Knuff. Um, but here, Harry is saying that it was actually, you know, there was actually Charles and Camilla's side that wound up putting that putting that out there, um, which I suppose won't come necessarily as a total surprise. There was a biography written around about that same time about Charles, which was uh, very positive about it. And I think it has, I have seen it reported somewhere that Harry felt that it was, that Charles was the one who had leaked it, so um, it wasn't a total, total surprise. But the yeah, I mean, it's like this this kind of investigation that Harry and William are doing, and then you know William at some point drops the bombshell that he'd uh, he'd leaked he'd mentioned it to Charles and Camilla, and then Harry's like putting his head in their hand, saying, "How could you? How could you do it?" Yes, but that's not the only time. There are other very specific examples of stories. One that Harry was very hurt by before Meghan even entered the picture was. Um, tabloid journalists uh, are threatening to publish stories saying Harry is a drug addict. This is when he's much younger, the wild Harry days, as some uh, members of the tabloid press call it. Charles essentially says to Harry, we need to let these stories be published about you being a drug addict because they will make me look like the victim here. Like This is a story about a poor, harried single dad just trying to do his best raising his boys. Um, one of them is out of control. It's really important for my image. And I, I need to look not just like, you know, I'm an emotionally stilted aristocrat, but I need to look like a human dad who has real struggles. And so he essentially says to Harry, I'm throwing you under the bus. I need to look better here. Yeah. So to, to kind of offer a bit of balance to that perspective. So I think what wound up ha- happening was they negotiated the story down from <clears throat> cocaine, which was what had originally been the news of the world was the newspaper and they had accused Harry of doing cocaine and they so they basically like negotiated that down to uh cannabis and then like create what well, actually the bloke the bloke who, the press officer who made that remark to Harry about it reflecting better on Charles um actually wound up like falling out with Charles massively and gave an interview to I think the Guardian about it some years ago where he said that the one one of the things that he'd been accused of was spinning this narrative that like Harry had gone to rehab when in actual fact it was a visit to a uh to a um like it was a drug rehabilitation center but like he wasn't checking in he was like just visiting as a royal um and the bloke had said that that was actually not him it was the news of the world who had done that in order to try to create a create a narrative out of it um but i mean this is actually one of the stories that is part of one of harry's court cases which has been sort of stalled for a long time but sitting in the background you might remember in 2019 around about the same time that megan sued the mail on sunday over her private letter he sued the son and well the publisher of the son and the news of the world and yes. one of the stories that he sued over is that story um so the he yeah his lawyers accused the news of the world of trying to uh, use the cocaine allegation to blag a softer version of the story about to blag his consent to publishing a softer version of the story about cannabis um the newspaper fired back that uh that you know that was not what happened it wasn't blagging uh, they kind of intimated that uh yeah they might have believed that harry had done cocaine so um yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I can kind of see where Harry's coming from. I can also see that Charles's team might believe that they were doing Harry a favour by getting cocaine out of the story. Um, but yeah, I mean, clearly Harry is still to this day pretty upset about it. Yeah, and we also have to note that in Harry's book, he says he's not alone in this, that Charles and Camilla's office have leaked stories about William and Kate as well, and that William and Harry said to each other at a certain point, 
you know, Daddy and Camilla may do this to us, but we're never going to do this to each other. But he does say that William then essentially did it to him as well. And that this is just something that's part of the family operations that the family never takes credit for it. They always say, oh, it wasn't me. It was a member of my press office. Um, and, you know, that's still like, who, who's the boss in the press office? Who, who is overseeing the employees? Because to me, your press office is still an extension of you, Camilla and Charles. It's still your decision if those things are leaked to a certain extent. And Harry does name names also. You know, he, he does point out how much he does not approve of Angela Kelly. That is the queen's dresser. She leaks often and according to Harry with great skill. We all know about her. I don't buy this whole thing where, oh no, it wasn't me. It was my press office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the subject of stuff, he 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 goes into some of what happened at Kensington Palace and the relationship between Harry and Meghan and their stuff uh, in a way that's quite interesting. So he does say that, uh, you know, he he obviously says that Meghan is not a bully and he says that all of the problems in Kensington Palace were blamed by William on Meghan. But what's quite interesting is he does also outline this kind of picture of a uh, of an office where the staff were kind of in this, he, I think he calls it a poisonous environment. And he's, he says that there were people kind of like bent over desks weeping. Um, and he said that the uh, the atmosphere was so kind of febrile that uh, constructive criticism wasn't possible. Um, he says that he blamed that kind of atmosphere. Obviously, William blamed the atmosphere on Meghan. Harry blames the atmosphere on William bringing people into his office from the world of government. Um, what did you think of how he described some of the more senior palace aides? He, he kind of had nicknames for them, calling them the bee, the wasp, the fly. And the fly was someone who he said, you know, he nicknamed him the fly because in his time in in government, he kind of was surrounded by uh, surround, I mean, surrounded by feces. Like he doesn't use that word, he used the swear word version. <laughs> <laughs> like some of his... Some of it's quite personal, and I did—I have to say—I did wonder about whether that was actually a good idea for Harry to go there. Like, if he's in in the process of denying a bullying allegation, is also like some saying some really quite personal and very scathing things, including about people's physical appearances. Like, there's a guy who he calls the wasps, who was lanky and weedy. Like, there were a couple a couple of things that Harry said in this book, which honestly, like, could have come out of a Piers Morgan column. Um, mm. I, I don't know what you thought about some of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say there's not, there there is more page length, though, given to the fact that Megan is trying her very best, that she's treating her staff really well, that she's throwing ice cream socials for people, that she's giving them her freebies, that she's sending letters of condolences when things are going rough in people's families. Um so I, I do have to say that he gives way more time in the book to try to show what Megan is doing right. Uh, and, and then also, of course, you know, when Megan is being dragged through the press for bullying her staff because she's sending them early morning emails, you know, Harry's like, that's not abuse. That That's something she was up early. There's a time difference between, you know, where her friends live, where we are in the UK, her being up at a certain time and sending emails to the friends there or DMing them. Um, she also was on her computer and maybe sending a few notes to staff. That's not abuse. And nobody is required to reply to an email coming in at five in the morning <laughs> just because Megan sends an email at five in the morning doesn't mean that's abuse and it doesn't mean you have to reply at that second. One more thing I want to say before we take a break and go to the next segment uh, is I do appreciate 
that Harry takes a moment to refer to Prince Andrew as somebody involved in sex crimes. <laughs> it's a big, uh, it's a big question, isn't it? Because like I've been thinking for so long, so many journalists have had a chance to sit down with him, and like you know, in a context where he's kind of suggesting you can ask me anything, like oh, why did Oprah not ask about Andrew? I was kind of sitting there like this is the golden opportunity. But yeah, it's it's it was interesting to see him address it, and also to address it through the prism that a lot of the kind of media debate has taken on it. You know that obviously a lot of what's been discussed on social media and discussed within the main mainstream media is that comparison between Harry, Harry and Andrew and saying that well they're kind of treated the same but whatever people might think of Harry Andrew's situation is just so much so much so much worse and so obviously Harry agrees we now know. There is so much more to talk about Jack but we need to take a quick break but before we do a reminder to rate us and review us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your favorite shows. When we're back, we're going to dig into the interviews that Harry gave 60 Minutes and ITV. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hi, everyone. We're back with a look at the two biggest and most explosive interviews Harry has given so far during his TV press tour for his new book, Spare. That's right. As we all now know, Harry sat down with Anderson Cooper for 60 Minutes in the US and with Tom Bradby for ITV in the UK. Now, these were two really big interviews that came just before the book came out. They were kind of teeing up everything that we would then learn when the book was released. Um, So both interviews had some really, really surprising moments. Yes. Let's go through a few of them now, starting with Tom Bradby. <laughs> um, there, there is a moment early in the interview where Bradby says, you know, there's you losing your virginity in the book. I think, you know, sensitive viewers turn away. And Terry then quips, <laughs> it's four lines or something, if that. And uh, replying to him, Tom continued to say, okay, oh, I'm just scrubbing it from my memory still. <laughs> <laughs> he looked genuinely uncomfortable, Tom Bradby, didn't he? He looked he like did. Sort of, he didn't he really, really know what to say. Yeah, Harry and, put him and, on the spot about it and you could see Bradby squirming. Yes, yes. Harry essentially is like, we can talk about losing your virginity if you want. And Bradby is like, oh, let's change the subject. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to give some context to that. The, the mention of the virginity, once I got to the book, because I saw the interview first and I read the book, I'm like, oh, it really is just a few different lines. Harry was afraid that maybe the press caught him in the act because he'd had you know a little moment behind the pub with an older woman. And he was always being hounded by the press. And so he legitimately thought like, oh, no, someone from the press caught me doing something again. Was it me losing my virginity? And he gives a few lines to that. I don't feel like it's salacious at all. (laughs) I just wanted to give some context to that one. Yeah, totally, totally. But I think for me, the biggest, biggest revelation of the Bradby interview had to be the 
uh, when Harry is asked to deal with the what Bradby says is his, his and Meghan's allegations of racism uh, against yes. the royal family. And Harry says, no, we didn't accuse them of racism. And then he suggests that it was unconscious bias. Uh, and he acknowledges that the kind of key word in what Meghan said is concerns – um, but yeah, he says it from his perspective, he doesn't think that they were accusing the royal family of racism, which I have to admit made my jaw drop all the way to the floor. Um, and I've gone back over what Megan said again and again and again. And I have to say that I cannot see how it's anything other than an allegation of racism unless Harry wants to retract some of what Megan says. I mean, what's your view, Kristen? What did you think of that? Yeah, I felt he was backpedaling. You know, he, he was trying to differentiate saying unconscious bias is not done deliberately or with malice. It's not done with awareness of what you're doing. It's it's one of those things you don't even realize at all. Whereas racism is, you know, you're doing it. And I'm sorry, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, that's it just doesn't work that way. It can be you can be un- unaware of it, but it's still racism. Like if you are worried that a child born into your family might have too dark skin, that's racism. Like, that just is racism. Yes. So unless he wants to say, unless he wants to retract it and say that Megan fluffed her lines, like, I think probably people would be slightly incredulous at the fact it took them two years to clarify that. But otherwise, people might kind of understand that sometimes things get said in the heat of the moment, especially if you're not the person who was actually physically there, because Megan wasn't there when the remark was made. But like, if he wants to row back on it fully and say that actually it was a benign comment about driven by curiosity rather than concern, then like I could kind of see where he's coming from. But if he's not retracting the word concern, then that is, for me, is like categorically an allegation of racism and i have to say like he blamed it blamed it on the british media and said that yes. was the british media's narrative like it 100 was not the british media's narrative like oprah who watched the word tumble out of megan's mouth was visibly shocked and going whoa you know we all who were. was having everybody that watching ex- we that all were. was yes <laughs> and this is where i'm like I have to say, Kristen, like I have defended Harry and Meghan many times. I've gone on TV in Britain to defend them. I've defended them to like, you know, the British public do not like Meghan very much at the moment. Two thirds of the country dislike her. Two thirds of the country now dislike Harry, according to polling. I've gone on TV and defended them on a number of occasions. But I have to say, I am starting to grow increasingly worried that if we're going to keep having these moments like this one, that Harry and Meghan might disintegrate in America in the same way that they disintegrated in Britain. There is a saying that goes, uh, life will teach you the same lesson over and over again until you learn it. Um, and like it is hugely undermining on a number of levels to try to take the line that Harry is taking with this. Not least of all, because everybody knows that it's not a British media narrative. And so that means that Harry is coming across as somebody who will just blame the British media for anything. And that causes serious problems with the whole of the rest of his narrative because the evilness of the British media is such a core component part of his whole story that he just really needs to not undermine himself in relation to that. Because if people start to think, well, you just always blame everything on the media, then they could turn off him completely. Yeah, and he has a lot that he can validly blame on the UK media. He has example right. after example after example in his book, terrifying moments, relationships being destroyed, and really valid anger about invasion of privacy with the media. Don't undermine it, Harry. You have, you know, dozens of really clear examples of how exactly. they have ruined your life. 
don't undermine it with this. And then also don't confuse those of us who are on your side, because in his interview with Bradby, he then goes on to talk about how much he and Megan love Lady Susan Hussey. And as we've discussed on the show, Lady Susan Hussey was a lady in waiting for the queen. And she, uh, at at a Buckingham Palace event, um, was probing uh, a charity worker, Ngozi Fulani. She's the founder of a nonprofit and just probing, where are you really from? No, where are you really from? Because- Where in Africa are you from? Yes, because she's black, I guess. Um, you know, and, and to me, that's like, no, that's racist. And Harry's like, no, 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 it wasn't. It was just an honest mistake. We love Susan Hussey. And I, I was surprised he kind of, you know, I, I don't know what to do with that narrative. One thing, though, I do have totally. to give Harry, Harry credit for, which I'm really glad he did, is he did call out Jeremy Clarkson. So he kind of brought things into the present here. We talked about Jeremy Clarkson on our last episode and how, you know, his family have stayed silent on what Jeremy Clarkson said, what the Sun published about Meghan, you know, strip her naked, march her through every town in Britain, have people throw excrement at her while um, insulting her and saying terrible things to her. Um, And so, I mean, that is one point where his issues with the British press, he really brought it to the present and was saying his family could have put out a statement at that point. They put out statements about much... uh, milder things than that. And they could have put out a statement here. They didn't. They chose not to. And in Harry's words in the interview, he said, silence only allows the abuser to abuse. That is a case where Harry actually, you know, is saying the British press is terrible and he is correct. But yeah, those other other references about the British press, I agree with you. It's a little bit confusing about those other references to the British press. And even hearing you recount all that stuff about Clarkson, which obviously I heard when I watched the interview, but like, what did he want the palace to do? Like, be silent on Susan Hussey? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> is that silence complicity? You know, is that silence complicit? Is that the silence of the abuser? Like, well, I think the nail in, in, in the coffin of his argument in relation to Susan Hussey is the fact that he didn't even attempt to articulate what Ngozi Fulani's experience actually was. Like, she st- described in, like, quite, you know, like, uh, powerful and moving detail how she experienced that remark and said that you know it was clearly quite traumatic for her she is not accustomed to hanging around palaces and she's you know quite probably not accustomed to hanging around with people who have the word lady at the beginning of their name um and she felt that she was unwelcome and i actually interviewed the leader of the women's equality party in britain um, who was a witness like she saw the comments she heard the comment with her own ears uh, stood next to Ngozi Fulani and she told me that it was delivered with such comfort that she felt it was indicative of institutionalized racism um but what's so troubling is Harry's completely willing to stand up to Clarkson because Clarkson's talking about Meghan but Mm -hmm. what about Ngozi Fulani like what about her experience like why is her experience not also one that needs to be defended and why is her subjective experience of Susan Hussey's comments not worthy of him recounting and I think he's at serious risk of looking like he he hates viscerally hates the media but because they attack him and Meghan and that he's not actually capable of putting his feelings about the media to one side long enough to view things from the point of view of other people like Ngozi Fulani. 
yeah, I, again, I just want to reiterate, Harry, don't hurt your case. You have a really good case here against the media. This is it. Don't this sully is it. it with things like this. Don't do that. The core of their argument is so strong, but like he sweats the small stuff. Like he is a guy who sweats the small stuff. And I feel like he needs to kind of pare his argument down to its strongest features. And that was why, like, I just collapsed internally when he said the thing about the uh, skin tone comments. Was I was like, that is the strongest part of your entire case out of everything that the two of you have ever said. That was the strongest bit. And yeah. I just kind of despaired. And I'm like, guys, like you have to know that you, if you lose the faith and the benefit of the, of the doubt with the American public, like that's it, <laughs> you know, like that is it. Yeah. yeah. And I do have to say, speaking of the American public, that Harry's sit down with Anderson Cooper, I think that went more smoothly. Um, you know, <laughs> Harry, you know, admits in that interview that, he didn't always see how bigoted the press was. He didn't realize that maybe he was bigoted in some ways. And he sees those, you know, he, he sees that now. Um, and, you know, the, the, I would say the interview with Anderson Cooper was almost more friendly <laughs> and less explosive. But, <laughs> Which is funny um, because Tom Bradby is a literal friend of Harry's. Yes, he is. He is. But, um, yeah, Anderson Cooper was a little bit more gentle with him. And um, I'd say if anything was really explosive, it, it kind of came out in the trailers, actually, which was the question of if Prince Harry would ever return as a full-time working royal. He said, no, I can't see that happening. And um, why he chose to write this book, which a lot of people see it as, you know, this is not going to help you mend things with your family. And Harry says, but the book does give a full picture of the situation as we were growing up. It also squashes this idea that somehow my wife was the one that destroyed the relationship between these two brothers. And um, I think that that really is putting a line in the sand and saying a lot of this is about the media. A lot of it's about the story being spun the wrong way. But frankly, a lot of this is just because I love my wife. Yeah, indeed. We're going to take one more quick break. But before we do, a reminder to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jack underscore Royston and Kristen is at Kristen Meinzer. We always have royal updates as well as my latest stories for Newsweek. And when we're back, an announcement that is very, very sad for me. Hi, everyone. We're back with one last quick announcement. Today, I am so sorry to report that it is my final day co-hosting the Royal Report. And Jack, I just got to say to you, to the listeners, I have absolutely loved doing this show. I've loved getting to know you and laughing with you has just been the best, Jack. Just, you know, the what's not even on the favorite. microphone, what's not even recorded. <laughs> we, we've just had so many great moments over the past year co-hosting this show together. It's been an absolute joy. It's for me too, for me too, honestly. And I've been thinking through this and I'm like, so much of what we do, like so much of the way we put the show together is about like me and you. And it, like, I can't, I'll sign offs. Like our, our dedicated listeners will know that every time we end the show, I sign off by saying a curtsy to you all. Like 
I, I, I can't continue. Like, even if we got somebody else on, I can't continue that with somebody else. Like, that's a me and you thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm heartbroken. I'm sure, though, that you will go on to great and wonderful things um, post the Royal Report. And we, too, will also continue and hopefully go from strength to strength as well and continue to great things. And we definitely, definitely want you back on as a guest if you are happy and willing to do it. Oh my gosh, yes, of course. I am going to come back. You're going to be stuck with me a few times a year. Watch out, Royal (laughs) Report listeners. I'm going to be here. And in the meantime, I can't really announce all these other projects that um, are going to be taking up my time quite yet. I will say I am going to be busy with a couple of TV projects and a podcast, which I'm not allowed to announce yet. I have a lot of stuff keeping me busy, but Follow me on Twitter to find out what those things are. And please, all of you, continue to listen to Jack on the Royal Report. Jack is just, you're fantastic, Jack. You always have the inside scoop. The show is going to continue on without me and, again, with me from time to time. So rest (laughs) assured, the show is still going on. I'm still going on. Everything is going to be fantastic. And Jack will always have every story that you're curious about. and he'll cover it all with great guests. So for the last time for me, but not from Jack, that's it for this episode of The Royal Report. And be sure to join me every other week when I visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jack Royston. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And a curtsy to you all. <laughs>